Jacob, I've never felt more ready in my life than for this particular episode. I feel like you just lied to my face, Mark Barnes. I'm insured. <laughs> are you failure. insured? How insured are you? Well, you know, me, I'm, I've got no health insurance. Um, and I do have car insurance because you have to, except for this one car, which is a secret. Um, and I've got life insurance. Why do you get life insurance? Uh, because I was told to. Oh, okay. Who well, told no, no, no. You? you know what it really was? It was, it was that I, what I really have is student debt. And so uh, I was afraid that I am still afraid that were I to pass away, um, my wife would be loaded with more struggles in that she would have to pay my student debt. She didn't do that thinking the benefit, she didn't get that benefit of education that you got. My wife. It's actually not even true. You went to the exact same institution. Buddy, (laughs) check yourself. Yeah, no, and she was student debt too. So it's it would it would sort of be a a burden on her. So I wanted to mitigate that 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 risk. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Which is what insurance is all about, which is what we're talking about. We're ready to go. Um because that's what we do on good money. We talk about we talk about problems with money problems with our society and whether the two could possibly be related. Yep. And you know, also on new quality one or good money, something that we do a lot is tell you that the financial institutions that we, we have to deal with and live in today existed during classical pagan times, That's right. not in Christendom That's right. and only resurrected once Christendom fell. It's just a big so, pagan sandwich boys. There you go. And we are the top piece of bread. (laughs) But we're all striving to be the toothpick with the olive that ascends the sandwich (laughs) and moves to greater heights. Wow. That was profound, especially since the chosen city is, you know, the place of olives. Wow. And And described as sitting on a sandwich in Matthew (laughs) 6. That's so true. (laughs) Gosh, we Catholics know our Bibles. We really try. Well, hey, so insurance. It clearly, I'm just going to jump into to part of this. It plays off of our fear. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm literally, I, I only would be insured if I was afraid. I cannot even imagine a possibility of doing otherwise. Yeah. But, if you were but, happy. If you were content. Pretend you were happy for a second. Just, can you get there in your head? Can you even get there? I was going to do a bit where I'm like, I remember being happy, but Jacob, can I be, can I be really honest with you? Yeah. I'm, I'm actually very happy. I'm a happy person. I'm often happy. I know that you sometimes are. Yeah, I, I pretend that- not to be happy because I think that most people around me are either not happy or have like developed a kind of ironic, sarcastic way of pretending they're not happy in which saying like, oh, yeah, life's miserable is the thing that makes them happy. And I can play into that a little bit. But in truth, I just wake up excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you sometimes feel bad when you're happy around people who just aren't happy. It's like, ah. Uh... Yeah. Man, I shouldn't shouldn't be this happy around you. Anyways, <laughs> if everybody was like you, Mark, everybody was happy. Yeah. Nobody would have insurance. Right. But there would I be think, other problems think, with the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Hey, but jumping back on point. Yeah. Go. I think Jesus' whole thing that we've brought up so many times about anxiety is the way of the nations and that his good Christian kingdom that he wants to inaugurate 
is not going to be based upon the fear of tomorrow, but rather is going to be based upon love for one another and a liberation from anxiety that is that is liberated into confidence in God. Absolutely. Is is exactly where we have to start today. Well, because insurance is the attempt, as with most of these pagan systems, the insurance is the attempt to provide with money what should obviously be provided by interpersonal relationships and the virtue that accrues between them. I mean, people know this, I think, quite extensively. I mean, you think about the joke that when you get life insurance, your wife starts to think about killing you. Now, is that a funny joke? It's worth a light chuckle. But as that Slovenian philosopher guy says, there's always some deeper truth in jokes. That's not what he says, but I'm going to just pretend. And the the truth is that in that moment of insuring your life, right, you're acknowledging that to a certain extent you're degrading personal relationship, right? Or at, at the least, at the very least, you find yourself in a situation in which personal relationship is already deemed inadequate and troubled. So you enter into systems, you enter into, um, you start paying out some money to basically professional gamblers, so that whenever you take a particular risk, something scary, something that involves loss or could involve loss, you are insured, you are assured that you're insured, and if something bad happens, you're going to get some roughly equivalent money um, that's going to help you come back. And of course, we know, because insurance companies are still here, that in fact, the bulk of it is actually providing wealth to the very insurance companies themselves, right? Like they're actually good at gambling in the sense that they end up with more money than you (laughs) at the end of the day. Um, So that should be noted, right? This is a system that for whatever goods it provides within this big scary world ultimately moves money back up to the top. So let's not let's not kid ourselves here that this is just doing all of us a great big service, right? Is that fair to say, Jacob? You know more about the stats than I do. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of true. So like the CEO of Union Health made only 42 million dollars last year. So it's just like it's kind of true, it's kind of not true. I mean that seems like it's super true, but I'm not good at big numbers. <laughs> but you're, you're right to say yeah. that when Jesus speaks about money, he's talking about inaugurating a new social order that's not based on fear. Because he describes the way of anxiety and the way of fear as the way of the nations, right? So particular social orders are built up insofar as people fear each other, right? And fear death and harm. And then when people do not fear death, fear fear harm, or fear each other, other social orders are uh, inaugurated. Or rather, one particular social order is, and it's called the kingdom of heaven. So he talks about this when he says, uh, what does he say? Oh, yeah, he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Now, obviously, if this were true, like if we actually read this and believed it, then to the extent that we did, there couldn't be insurance. Where there's no anxiety, there's there can't be insurance, right? So I, can I jump in real quick? Yeah. Because because I think there's something when people hear that passage from Jesus, yeah. then they they think about things like him finding or needing to pay a tax, and then telling Simon Peter to go find the the coin in the fish's mouth, or he'll say there'll be something like. Uh, Judas pointing out that the nard that Mary, the sister of Simon the leper, 
poured over Jesus' head was worth a year's wage. Uh-huh. And he says, don't worry about it. Mm. Like there's, there's a, a blase attitude that Jesus has, a, a carelessness, a true liberation from anxiety. Sure. But it's often connected with some sort of miraculous or, or rather an assumption. You know, in the case of the fish, it is, it is connected with some miraculous In the other cases, it's like, well, he was God. Like, right. you know, he, he has that. Whereas for the most part, uh, I've checked for most of us, we're not. And so they're just this. Yeah, totally. Thing. But, but I think it, 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 it's not, it. mirac- it's not miraculous though. Well, I, I should say there's different miracle can mean different things in different contexts, uh, despite what the Thomas might say. Um, and it seems like what Jesus is not describing is if you give up your anxieties and you trust in him, that the provision that he will give, and he will give it, will always be somehow extrinsic to the social order that that lack of anxiety creates. I mean, this is, I think, a myth of a certain well-intentioned spirituality that says, well, if I don't care about money, then miracles will happen and I will get money right when I need it, da 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 This is true, but it's not apart from the actual kingdom that's built by virtue of that lack of anxiety. What I mean is, if we really love each other and we're really virtuous, right, then when there's a conflict, right, or when there's a loss, then we can rely on each other to make that loss up or to not be unfair when um, there's a conflict between us. We like a virtuous society is one that your insurance is coming from your neighbor because your neighbor is orientated towards your good, just as you're orientated towards, towards the good of your neighbor. So in, in some senses, it's very quotidian. It's kind of humdrum. It's like, yeah, like if we, if we were good, then we would be good. And within that society, how, how are you going to, how are you going to need insurance? Because we would all be trying to take care of each other. And the only insurance you have would be a particular work of care, right? Like if someone wanted to actually work to amass some money, uh, in order to better take care of people when they were in need, but that's just what we call almsgiving. It's not insurance in the same way. And in fact, when Jesus ends his passage talking about not being anxious, right? He says, therefore give alms and sell your possessions. So this isn't like an accidental connection, like, well, maybe he's not talking about money anxiety. No, he's saying like one of the things that you're doing to be that kind of society that worries and therefore needs insurance is stockpiling money. So he's just calling out the system. There it is. Right. And so how do you cure yourself of the system? Well, give alms and sell your possessions. I mean, we think of it as sort of personal greed all the time. But in fact, I think Christ is talking about a particular social order that's built up on anxiety uh, in which all those moments of risk and fear are opportunities for the profit of the wealthy, where the wealthy see those moments of, well, this person's worried that their house is going to burn down. This person's worried about their health. This person's worried about their car. This person's worried about their investment, whatever, and sees in it an opportunity to use our fear, because fear is always an inroad into the soul. It's always a moment where another person can say, you're scared, I have the power to prevent the evil that you're afraid of. The moment we have that relationship established, we give power to others. I mean, this is part of what makes courage so wonderful and so difficult, is the courageous man, to the degree that he is, to the degree that he is courageous, is free of those inroads into his soul, where people can m- manipulate his actions by saying, hey, do this and I'll protect you from the big bad wolf. 
right? But what Jesus Christ is describing is a society that's totally dictated by the presence of the wolf, right? It's there for everyone, so everyone is manipulatable um, because of their ever-present fear. And so, surprise, surprise, uh, wealth is accumulated at the top, power is accumulated up to the top, and you have a set of rulers of this earth who who functionally are able to to uh, operate people as a single mechanism precisely because and insofar as people are fearful. Does that make sense, Jacob? I feel like I'm. Yeah, it sense. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, let me, let me, <laughs> let's just slow it down and walk through some parts. Of I that refuse to slow down. <laughs> I'm going to go faster. No, you're right. We should slow Says down. Says the man who's against cars. Yeah. Um, I mean, but when I am in a car, I'm driving fast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I think I think that's exactly right. And when you find that in Acts, the beginning of the book, yeah. when it's declared that all the Christians were living together, holding their goods in common, it's declared that there were no poor among them. Wow. So, which is kind of this extraordinary uh, fulfillment of the Deuteronomical prophecy that said, if you follow these commands and live with your brother according to the law, yeah. there will be no poor among you. Be good. And finally, what's the fulfillment of the law? Well, it's grace. It's the life in the spirit. It is also the life without fear and without poor. I mean, there's a reason why fear and love are antithetical to one another. I mean, fear and hope are antithetical to one another on on one one front. But but so is fear and love is that it and, and the fact that when Thomas speaks about fear being ultimately fulfilled or, or to completely defeated in love. Mm-hmm. I guess the Bible does that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you have uh, you have no longer a system that's um, opposing God, but a system that is living in God and through God. Um, and I think where you see this lack of fear, because when we, we talk about insurance as a particular technology of mitigating fear, one that both relies on the fear that it mitigates, right? But also does have a real effect of mitigating it. Um, mm-hmm. You see it in children who are essentially... Wait, let me, let, before you get to children. I love children. Me... <laughs> okay, go with the children. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I mean, there's that famous Chesterton quote, right? Which I'm going to murder for the sake of... Saying effect, it. Yeah. Um, that children were never so happier as when they're within a fence. And what he doesn't mean is some kind of creepy, like authoritarian situation. He just means that when children do not have a worry, then they're free and they act like it. They're creative within that freedom. And I think what's incredible about a child is how suicidal they are or apparently suicidal. Like they'll just jump off of things fully expecting their parent to be there. They have insurance, right? But the insurance is a person. Right, the mother, the father, the brother, the sister—these are insurance unto the child. And what you see is a life of freedom. I mean, there's a lot of problems with childhood, right? There's a lot of like scratching and crying that goes on, but at its best, it's really fun. It's very happy. Um, it's full of laughter. And there's—it's not an accident that when Christ comes to destroy a pagan system that the image that he promises, the image that will destroy that system is precisely the image of the child. He says, we're going to be children of the father again. He says, you know, let the children come unto me that the kingdom of heaven is for such as these. He says that we must be born again. We must enter into a new childhood. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that 
what we need to enter into is a new kind of assurance, right? That our lives are insured, but not because we've spent money in the right places, which is the way of fear, as he describes, right? But because the relationships of love that exist between us and ultimately between us and God are real. They, they really exist and are there to care for us. And so we can actually live like children again. We can be free in that sense. The difference is that now we're also full of wisdom, right? Because we can actually conceptualize those relationships of care in a way that the child can't. So that's what I think about that. <laughs> yeah. And you see this childlikeness throughout Christian tradition when we start, start to build things that we just cannot afford. What do you mean? Like Notre Dame Cathedral oh. or, or Sagrada Familia. You know, these are you know, expenses that are going to take hundreds of years to fulfill and that people, the people who start them off say, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it, but it's alms. It's true alms. It's the, that they're the random people that good faithful Christians are giving. And, uh, and again, liberated from the overly rationalizing critical mind of, uh, of, of fear. Yeah. It says, no, you know, we, we're going to spare no expense to do things beautifully for our God and that we're going to take care of one another in the midst of it too. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas I think that our modern world being fear-based as it is, it is not, you can't even afford to live in it really. And, and I think that's why insurance is so prevalent. What do you mean? I think so by the fact that, uh, if you're, if you're driving a car, yep. you have to have car insurance. Right. If you own a home, well, excuse me, if you don't actually completely own your own home uh, and the bank is is just booing you up in, in the meantime, they're probably going to have you get home insurance mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, that you pr really, most people really do need health insurance mm -hmm. that 60 to 65% of all bankruptcies are caused by some sort of medical problem. Mm. Um, and yet in the midst of, you know, this totalizing effect, it's, it's only because we've set up in a system that makes it all impossible to, to live in without the insurance. And so that's, I, so that's kind of the first argument that I'd like to, or that's my claim. I'd like to make the argument that, we really are in that situation where we live in a world we can't afford. Right. Sure. I mean, because what insurance does is it allows us to um, take risks that we wouldn't otherwise, or rather it allows a certain class of people to take risks that they wouldn't otherwise. Right. Yeah. Well, and then it starts to trickle down. So when you find the reemergence of insurance in the West, it comes about through merchants trying to sell more goods than, than they perhaps should definitely beyond their means their families were well taken care of they were already the elites of society and yet they were trying to ship off their goods in such a way that they're going to make a, a bigger profit mm -hmm. it wasn't for the common good it wasn't in the sense that uh you know malta needs grain and we got to give give them the grain mm -hmm. It really came about because there was an opportunity to gain more. And here's a system in which we can ensure that our losses are not going to capsize us. Sure. You know, sorry for the pun. Yeah, I get it. 
and uh, and so the system expands from there. People see this as an opportunity to live a step beyond where they should. They're not satisfied in this sense. In a, in a real, in the most profound sense, they're actually they've actually um, shirked off the virtue of liberality, mm. where the proper use of money or the good use of money, as Thomas says, uh, is no longer known. Uh, they they've gone beyond and into a a, a covetous realm, as it were. Right. Because, they've they've been overtaken by it. Because um because they don't actually have a detachment in their in their giving and in their using of money. Right? Because as right, long as you exactly. have insurance, right, what you're trying to do is essentially buy um <laughs> I mean, insurance, you're trying to never have a loss, <laughs> right? And that's what's really interesting to me is that insurance is costly. So it's it's something that by definition, um, except for in those instances where it's actually mandated, like car insurance, um, mm-hmm. it's one of these instances where the wealthy are able to utilize the technology precisely because they have the money to get insurance um, in a way that those who don't have that money are not able to. <laughs> I mean, it's a very obvious problem that always happens when you have systems of money is that the people that have a lot of it get to use the system. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's, it's. I mean, you can actually insure yourself, you're telling me you can actually insure yourself against bankruptcy. Like you can just insure yourself against losing money, which is wild to me. Yeah, but then the system starts to take over. I mean, people realize how lucrative insurance is and right. And we start to create technologies. I think this is just generally for our society. We create technologies that cause more problems, that then create more job opportunities, that then create more abilities to profit off of those opportunities. So let's just start really simple. Uh, There's a stream down the road that you wash your plates in. That's great. Well, now you don't have to walk down the road because we've invented... Uh, you know, a washing machine or what are you, a dishwasher, sorry. Uh, at that point, then you need, uh, you can't just use kind of the moss down the road that has the natural cleansing properties in it. You have to get soap. And so, and then your dishwasher starts to break. And then you have, so then you, there's a new industry in addition to the dishwashing industry and the soap making industry, but you're also making, uh, you know, the, the parts industry. And that becomes a whole new section uh, of, of the sales operation of dishwashers. Well, anyways, this is just a very silly small example, but obviously cars uh, demonstrate this, this same predicament. Mm. And, and for the most part, most of our technologies do this. I'm not saying this as being completely anti-technology, but, um, but we just need to realize what is going around going on around us. And when it comes to cars and car insurance, we have to realize that uh, it's hard to live in this world without a car. Um, and, to, and to the extent that we have been forced by just the layout of our of our country to ha- to own a car, or at least that country, um, where you're at, Mark, yep. uh, where you're where you're forced to, to live with a car, then you're forced to upkeep it. You're but but if you, you know, by chance run into somebody and you don't have the money to pay for it because, you know, let's face it, it's really expensive if you do. And they're poor because, you know, they're only working a job where they make $10 an hour 
at McDonald's and and they're driving because they have to drive because everybody drives on their way to work. Uh, well, then then you're kind of stuck. Like your whole life shuts down. Neither of us, neither of you can get to a job that you need mm-hmm. to be able to pay for everything it, that you've created in life. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, you need to have this insurance. But but that goes back to the first uh, impetus for creating an insurance company is that you're only doing that because you're living outside your means. You only need that car insurance because you're living outside your means. You can't really afford that car. Sure. But our world has just forced us into this corner where you need it. Right, right. I think that's just a kind of a catch-22. Yeah, does that make sense? It does, and it seems like, in a way, having insurance is the attempt to solve the multitude of dangers that come with the modern life without actually looking at the dangers themselves, but just trying to provide money to kind of shore us up against them, right? So, I mean, one interesting statistic, I suppose, is just that the incidence of um, people getting hit by cars, pedestrians getting hit by cars, has been on the rise. Now, if you have a society where many people are dying because cars are hitting them, you might think to yourself, well, this seems problematic. Maybe we should have a different kind of society, right? Maybe pedestrian spaces shouldn't be um, organized and ordered by the roads in the sense of every place where people walk becomes a sidewalk, that is to say, besides the road. Rather, we should have pedestrian spaces routes and trails, right, that move independently from the car so that the human body doesn't move simply under the threat of being hit by a car all the time, right? But there could be a mobility that doesn't isn't dictated by the road. Okay, but that would be a radical change. So what do we do instead? Well, we insure everybody, right? So we don't, what insurance allows us to do is not address the particular problems where we say, this is an obvious threat, let's get rid of the threat. It says, okay, we have the threat, so if the bad things happen, let's give everybody money, right? So it's actually an incentive. An insurance culture incentivizes the status quo in the same way that it incentivizes you know, the wealthy protecting their own wealth through insurance techniques. It also incentivizes, um, instead of, I mean, I hesitate to use the word, but instead of actual radical innovation, right, it simply allows us to remain within our dangerous and harmful technologies, right, but then have the assurance of money coming when those technologies go wrong, right? And so in a similar, I mean, you can think about health in the same way. It's like we live very unhealthy lives. We eat poorly. We exercise rarely. We work in such a manner that it actually cripples our bodies. Like we become weak, flabby people just by default, right? Unless we get a Planet Fitness membership. I'm just kidding. But what's the answer, right? The answer has not been, okay, well, then we need to live in radically smaller communities. We need to destroy commutes and we need to move beyond these sort of soul-crushing jobs to actually start utilizing our hands um, in the trades and in agriculture alongside the intellectual endeavors. No, we don't do that. We just create a whole system of health insurance that, you know, when something goes wrong, you can potentially afford its cure. And it's, and even then that becomes a little silly because then prices, obviously, as we know, get raised to meet the insurance. So you actually end up, you know, it's, it's not an actually impressive technology when it comes down to it. But my point is simply this, that, that insurance as a cultural mindset also insures the culture as a whole, 
right? Because it says, all right, you're living under threat. You are a threatened body. That's what it's like to live in America is to be a body under great threat. Um, so we're going to mitigate the risk through just one more technology. And this technology is called insurance. And it, what's fascinating about, I mean, Jacob, you brought up this connection between technology and insurance. And it's actually, it's fascinating because insurance is sort of like the form of technology itself in a way. And what I mean is this, I mean, Ratzinger talks about the idea that the reason for technology is always some kind of anxiety, right? It's always, mm -hmm. you see some sort of lack and you try to fill that lack by ordering creation in some way towards, towards the fulfillment of that lack. It's not bad in itself. It's just what it is. He's just describing it, right? But that means that there's an element of insurance, as it were, in every moment of technological buildup. We have this problem, this technology provides this solution, right? Well, it makes sense then that a technological age is sort of crowned, as it were, with actual insurance, right? That general fear can be met by general sums of money. So I think it's a, it's a further description of a social order that occurs once we're all um, motivated by fear. And I think it's impo important to point out that it's stagnant. Like it tends towards its own stagnation where you just end up creating technologies that create problems and then providing different new technologies and new insurance methods that work out the harms or try to save you from the harms that those same technologies provide. And then you end up in this massive cycle of just building new things to, <laughs> to save you from the things you've built. Yeah. Right. But and also people needing to preserve those. This is like C.S. Lewis's great point in the abolition of man is that as our technological age uh, grows, augments, that means that there's a class of people that are controlling the majority of, of life. Mm -hmm. And that means that they have a then controlling interest in the social order as it now stands. And they're going to do everything they can to preserve it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in a sense, they have ensured our social order as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. that's depressing, Jacob. Okay, you got anything more like bright, shiny, like rainbows and stars? I've got nothing. To give us? I've got nothing but Jesus, you know, and that's everything. <laughs> because when he when he talks about a society, and he is talking about his society, he's saying, okay, it, he looks at the Roman Empire and he already sees this. He says, oh yeah, this is a people who, because they're all afraid, are going to push power and money up to the top. And he says this, right, that that the rulers of this earth are called benefactors, right? I mean, he's describing the way not to be <laughs> to his disciples. Mm -hmm. And he says, uh, do not be like the lords of the Gentiles who love to rule it over their servants, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And for whom those, and, and those people are called, those rulers are called benefactors. Well, it's like, that's exactly what he was seeing in the Roman Empire. And that's exactly what we're seeing now. I mean, different techniques, I suppose. But in the end, you just create a fearful population that because they're afraid, amass money and power uh, within a smaller subset of that population and then receive, whether in insurance payouts or other type of handouts, they receive the very goods that they were taken from them back as a way of, um, of saving them from their fear. And what Christ is talking about is just a different order where instead of looking up to the man above us, we look to the left or to the right. Um to the man next to us because we love each other. A big part of insurance is that it creates a culture of suing each other. I mean, think about yeah. the fact that 
because we're all insured, every conflict is a potential source of revenue. You know, when I, I was in a car accident and one of the first things you get before any kind of, you know, police contact is you get emails and mail and phone calls from lawyers telling you to sue the person that either you hit or hit you. And the way they describe it is because they're going to sue you first. So you have to act now. I mean, anyone who's been in this situation knows what I'm talking about. You get a big like thing in the mail that's like, act now before you get sued. And what they mean is sue first, because apparently it's beneficial to be the first person to sue someone. <laughs> um, it's we know that we know that's bad. We don't want to live in a society in a society where we're constantly fearing being sued by others and seeing any kind of harm as an opportunity to make a buttload of money. Obviously, that's bad and unhealthy. Um, but within an insurance culture, it's just the natural result. So when Jesus stop, when Jesus finishes his discussion about not being anxious, he says, um, and why do you not judge for yourselves? What is right? Why do you go to the courts? Like you should settle that you should settle conflicts among yourselves, right? Or else you're going to go to the judge and the judge is going to throw you in the prison and you won't get out until you pay the last penny. Well, Jesus is brilliant, dare I say, because he's connected Already, that fear of that anxiety with the accumulation of power and money in the rulers of the earth and with a culture of, of um, suing <laughs> um, as its result. When we're scared of each other, when we don't trust each other's virtue, then we really do, we really do fulfill that lack of trust in the courtroom. So I think it's just another hope of the Christian society is that you don't, you don't need these structures of power to essentially mitigate all conflicts and, and, um, all possibilities of loss, but it's because you're involved in an actual, you're, you're pursuing a common good together so that when there is a conflict between neighbors, it's not the kind of conflict where you can say, well, we need to take this outside of the community to be judged because we belong to each other and we're all pursuing the same good so we can reconcile, right? We can work out on the basis of that good what we ought to do to get over the conflict. Mm -hmm. um, and I just think insurance, insofar as it's a habit of soul that we're all involved in, really makes that impossible. I mean, you, you can see this, right? Like the, pr the, the possibility of neighbors suing each other hangs over all of their heads. Like you might say like, oh, I promise I won't sue you. And that person's like, well, I promise I won't sue you. And maybe you don't actually ever sue each other. But the possibility of bringing a relationship into this society of fear, um, it does threaten our normal relationships all the time. And, and you see this in petty neighborhood conflicts everywhere. Yeah. That was supposed to be positive, yeah. but it got negative again. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I mean, there's, there's, there's not a lot not a lot to get out of it. Um, I mean, in the, in, in those who run the major systems, the various big, big businesses start to show their hand on this as well. I mean, the fact that those who are uninsured, and this is not always in the same cases, but just take health insurance for, for instance, those who are uninsured pay, uh, usually about a quarter less than those who are insured, uh, when they go to the hospital, for instance, so there's there's some form of uh, you, you might call beneficence uh, or pity 
on the on the part of those who have created these systems. But for the most part, it's it's what is more outstanding is less of that because that may be the real price. I still think an inflated price, but it's the opportunist nature of of those who have set the policies to take more money from those who have insurance. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that stands out stands out more. Oh yeah, and I mean, like, uh, doctors will give doctors will give you all sorts of discounts if you just pay in such a way they don't have to deal with insurance people. Well, yeah. Tell us about more. Didn't more have something last week where she oh, went she just to saved six hundred bucks by bills? by just 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 paying paying money. It was like a, she was grabbing some pills, and she I can't. You told me the story in passing last week, but it was that she was paying for some 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 pills and told the people that they didn't have or tell the pharmacist that she didn't have insurance, and they just waived six hundred bucks. Tell me how. Tell us that story. Um, trying to do it in such a way that I don't talk about my wife or her medical history. Give me a <laughs> this one's a cut, boys. It's a cut for you. Um, Sorry. yeah. So one of the ways one of the one of the ways around insurance is to do things cooperatively, um, because insurance does operate on a model where uh, you give people money and they're gambling on the fact that probably the bad thing won't happen. So you give them less money over a long period of time. And because they have enough people involved, um, then they have the money for when that risk does happen or when that, that loss does happen. Now, this can be done, I suppose, in the weirdo way we've done it, but it can also just be done with lots of people because it's just true given several hundred people, that only a certain portion of them will suffer a catastrophe on any given Wednesday, right? So if you want to share in the wealth that you have such that all of that wealth can be accessed to help that one particular person on that Wednesday, and you, when it's your turn to undergo a disaster on that Wednesday, can also have access to all that particular wealth. Um, That's a great way of ensuring ourselves that happens cooperatively, Right? And this is what my wife and I are a part of. It's a group that um, does precisely this, that you are just giving your money straight to whoever's in need in that particular month. Um, and you write a check to them and you mail it. And there is no insurance in particular. Um, and that's worked really well. And one of the things that we found out is when my wife goes to get you know, anything – um, she tells the pharmacist, the doctor, that we're self-pay, that we don't we don't do insurance, and immediately gets massive discounts, massive discount. I mean, just the other day, a six hundred and forty-five bill became a forty-five dollar bill, just like that. <laughs> and it's like, well, the reason is obvious, right? Like you mentioned, um, we inflate prices precisely because we know that there's that insurance money available, right? So people want a slice of that pie. So pills become a lot more money than they actually cost. And we all know this. I mean, this has been a debate in our society for a long time. Um, But what's shocking is how easy it is to sort of walk away from that. I mean, doctors, within the health insurance world at least, I mean, doctors, the administrative bloat that they have to deal with because insurance companies don't want to actually, they don't actually want to part with their money. So getting their money is this massive battle that is its own industry, right? Well, doctors to avoid that will happily discount (laughs) 
heavily discount um, the prices that you pay. So you end up paying a lot less. Now, there's no way to say there's some kind of like way in which the mitigation of risk doesn't involve some kind of sacrifice. Like you're always going to be spending money. Absolutely. But there's ways to do it that it isn't, doesn't create an accumulation of power and multiple other industries that are all profiting off of, of that attempt to mitigate risk, right? There's a way to do it where you really are sharing resources over time. Um, yeah. And, 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 and I think, so, and I think there's also a side of it primarily in, in the health industry where there are so many various operations that are, it's hard, hard to even stomach to talk about it, but are, are against the faith and, and contrary to the church mm-hmm. that if you can find one of these groups to join a health sharing program, it's, it's hugely beneficial um, to do that. I wouldn't say that paying into an insurance company gives you the same uh, formal uh, uh, participation in evil as, say, uh, investing in a bad company is. Uh, but that's still going on. And so if you can get a- away from the abortion industry, uh, away from uh, any of kind of the modern sexuality industry, yeah. That's great, and this is uh, and these health share programs uh, do that. That's and, why we it's kind not, of put new polity on them, right? Absolutely, yeah. and it's not clear to me yeah. why this couldn't replace every form of insurance. And what I mean is this: mm-hmm. it, it seems to yeah. me that this is a fulfillment of what Christ is talking about in some ways, because he's talking about instead of rulers have a social body, right? So instead of saying, "Okay, let's extract value from the many." give it to the one and then the one will distribute to the many. It's saying that we have within ourselves the resource. I mean, this is, this is how I read him saying like, sort out your conflicts among yourselves before you go to court. He's talking about a different way of life. Now it seems to me if that we're clearly capable of doing that with health insurance by saying, okay, instead of this way of life in which we give our money to, to some people and then they distribute it according to their crazy uh, algorithms and desperate attempts to cling on to it, we just say, hey, guess what? It's a beautiful world. Disaster doesn't happen to everyone all at once. So when it does, who cares? We're all <laughs> suffering a disaster. So you just suffer it. Um, you use that sort of spacing of time in order to insure particular people as they suffer. I don't see why you couldn't do that with life insurance, for instance. Like, I mean, probably as I speak, oh, absolutely, this is already happening. I'm sure it's already happening. Um, but why not? Why not just say, okay, let's get a couple thousand people together. Not everyone dies all at once. And let's just pay directly to each other when there's particular costs associated with death. I mean, I, I also, oh, oh, yeah, go ahead. The parish could create this. Oh, yeah. I mean, it'd be very easy. If you're at a bigger parish, the, the priest could set this up. I mean, the only problem I, is, is if you all them, but, yeah. die at once. But then, here's the thing, you're all dead. So who cares? <laughs> and you're in a place where there is no insurance. I mean, I think that's a kind of an important thing. It's hard to imagine insurance in heaven. You know, well, where where everything is fulfilled, <laughs> where all fear is, is washed out. Yeah. You know, this is uh, you're great. You're in an insurance free zone. Yeah. So I think in, in terms of practically speaking, I think getting on getting on any kind of health share plans, getting on any kind of uh, changing the insurance model to sharing models um, is definitely a good place to start. Um, yeah. But then. 
also just taking the moment to recognize that the world that we live in is the replacement of powerful families. What I mean by that is simple. It's like insofar as families are weak and degraded and can't really help each other in major ways, it's the most natural thing in the world to look for strong rulers who've amassed money and to give yeah. them to give them money within these within these plans. Um, most natural thing in the world, and I think that probably for most people, it's the thing to keep doing for a little while. But recognize what it what it's replaced. It's replaced strong structures of care and interpersonal relationship, in which death, disease, accident um, are are understood within a virtuous society to be the responsibility of all. I mean, this is the biggest problem with insurance: is that in the end, the man who's insured is not a responsible man. It doesn't lead him to become more virtuous, right? Because the feeling of being insured is always like, well, now I can do what I want. It's the seatbelt phenomenon. People drive faster when they're wearing seatbelts and thus get rid of all of the risk mitigation that the seatbelt was supposed to help with, right? This is this is true of almost all of these sorts of technologies that don't actually get rid of fear, but just say, hey, I promise the fear won't hurt you or like the, the evil thing won't hurt you. Um, we tend to compensate and just indulge in, in, in riskier behaviors. And I've definitely heard people say this, like, oh, my, I've got good health insurance, so I'm going to do this or that. Or like, um, I mean, the life insurance is, is a little more tough because you do die to get it. <laughs> but there, you know, you know what I mean? There's a, um, it's, right. whereas I'm going to bite off this bottle cap because it got dental. Yeah. <laughs> whereas when you're relying on, um, well, I, I mean, we make this joke. So we run some festivals downtown and when we have to get them insured, it's like, okay, now that we're insured, it's like, let's start lighting fireworks off into the crowd. Do we do it? No, but there's that joke present. And again, the jokes reveal the truth. <laughs> um, no, the important, the, but the, I mean, imagine, Though if it were otherwise, right? So, and I've experienced this just with the health share network, right? That insofar as we're involved in it, the attitude changes. So my experience is no longer like, hey, what can I get away with? Like, oh, I'm insured. So like what healthy actions can I get away with that they won't realize are actually pre-existing conditions or something like that? Um, it's an attitude of like, man, like this guy is sending me a check and he wrote a little note saying he's praying for me. I don't want to live in such a way that I'm taking advantage of his participation in this whole. And I, and I get that we're not talking about like generosity here. Uh, we're talking about being part of a system that you hope to benefit for if you ever have a problem. But at the same time, because it's actually building up a community of people who are no, learning each other's names, praying for each other and actually communicating with each other, the, it, mm -hmm. it changes entirely your habit, your scope. It's like, yeah, yeah, I want to serve this community. I want to live in such a way that I'm not taking advantage of the system. I mean, one of the easiest ways that you see this is like, you know that when you get a discount because you're not using insurance, you know that that discount helps everybody, right? Because everyone has to pay less money if you get that discount. So within an insurance model, obviously you don't care because you pay your deductible and that's it. But what happens to people who are in these systems is that they start hustling for that coupon, right? <laughs> you see it. They start like really wanting to save um, money. And it's not because they're being skinflints. It's because they recognize that they're a part of commu a community uh, that has a good and, and they can benefit yeah. that good by actually doing a little more work. And I don't see why this wouldn't be the case for all models. Now, once you start building up communities that take care of each other in some way, then 
you actually become more efficient because the habits you create within those communities tend towards risk reduction for the sake of the community. Whereas the habits insurance creates tends to be, oh, well, I've, I'm covered, right? That's what we say. I don't have to change my behavior because I'm covered. So they actually become inefficient because people are compensating um, by indulging in riskier behaviors. I mean, one thing that we must admit is that in an age of almost totalized insurance, we are crashing more, we are getting sick more, we are unhealthy, right? Uh, our economy is a, is a roller coaster. Like the idea that because we're all insured, we're now all living within this sort of freedom and, and lack of accident is baloney. What's, what it means is we're just in court more often, right? Whereas within a society in which you're actually the communities of care were real, I, I, I just, I can see it becoming a more efficient system. Like you're actually, there's actually less risk because you're adding the senses of honor and shame and duty that come with being involved in a large group of people who are taking care of each other. I mean, and I think Jesus says that pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think that's a, a hopeful ending. There, I gave so it I'm to not going to let you. Yeah, I was, thank you. The stars are gleaming, the rainbow is shining. Thanks, Mark. And uh, I am interested. If anybody is uh, does talk to their priest and they try to start setting thing, something up internal to their parish, let us know. We'd love to hear about that. That'd be really cool and see if we can, if there's a model we can share. Alrighty. And as always, get in touch to yell at us if you want. All oh, right, right. I was like, especially Mark. What? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as always, when you finish this episode, go outside and do something else. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Till next week. All right, bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.